Matthew chapter 21 for just a few minutes. Jesus is coming very, very near the cross. These are kind of last words, last moments, last instructions. Everything has a message deep within it. I shared with you on Sunday when we come to these parables, we've talked a lot about why God teaches in them, but he told us why. He said to some, they will be blinded, they won't see any part of it. To others, it will make perfect sense. Just recently understood that, that God's very, very careful about revelation. Not because he's trying to be cautious about it, or not because he's holding them back, but because he's merciful. To reveal something to someone whose heart is not ready. To reveal something to someone who won't embrace that and take it and let it become part of who they are. To move them, to change them, to build them. To give revelation in those situations is not merciful. So he says when he speaks in parables, he can blind those who won't receive and he can release something powerful to those who will. All in the same message. You, you have both coming out of the same words, mercy because some can't see, amazement because some can. In Matthew chapter 13, he explains that in, in better degree, talking about some that will see and, and some that won't. But he comes to this parable in Matthew chapter 21, begins in verse 28. He's addressing the Pharisees. He's addressing the religious leaders of that day and says, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and says, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and says, I go, sir. And he went not. So I want to stop right there because there's, there's particular relevance to this as he spoke to the religious leaders as he was drawing this comparison. But the first thing that really struck me when I came to this parable, I guess it's because over the last few weeks, following these footsteps of Jesus from birth all the way through the cross and through the cross, that he so many times talks about using a parable like this one where someone was called to work, called to an event, called to a moment, or even as we studied a few weeks ago when he came to the fig tree and he expected that there would be something on the fig tree simply because there was leaves, even though it was out of season. The leaves indicated the fig tree would have something on there for him, and so we know the outcome of what happened when the fig tree wouldn't produce, didn't produce, it was cursed. We listened to that, studied that a few weeks ago. But here is an introduction is the beginning. One of the things I think is somewhat lost within the Christian message today, I know I have a narrow view, so it may be much different than, than my perspective. This is, I will, I'll tell you honestly, this is mine. I don't think the Christian life, to many, calls us to work anymore. It calls us to a lot of things, it teaches us a lot of things, but I don't think it calls the Christian family. I don't think it calls the Christian community to work. I'm not talking about building. I guess the best way I could say it was that Jesus' expectation in every one of these stories was that the Christian life yields something. Just like we would expect a plant to yield a crop. The Christian life yields something so that we ought to be able to step away from the Christian life and see what it's producing. There ought to be some evidence of the fact, it's according to what, how many times Jesus comes to this illustration, 
that I ought to be able to look across the course of my life and understand the yield, what God has produced through me. I think that's reasonable because he comes to it so much. You know, he, he says to this, this first son, go work today in my vineyard. Each one of those little phrases telling us something. The son establishes the relationship. So it's like I'm not being asked to be a servant. I'm not being asked to be a slave. There's an expectation because of the relationship. There's an expectation because of the connection of father and son. It was never unreasonable for me when things needed to be done around our house to expect Jay or the girls to fully engage in whatever was going on out of the relationship. It wasn't unreasonable. It was normal. It was expected. He addresses this and he says, that even implies something so powerful. What I'm fixing to say is born out of the relationship that I have with you and not because I'm your master, not because I own you, not because you you have a responsibility to me. So he's saying, I'm calling on the relationship to produce whatever I'm fixing to ask. We know he's our father. We know we are his children. Whatever he's asking is reasonable because of the relationship. And he says, I want you to go work. Again, this is a parable, so I don't want to stretch this too far. All I will say in that one again is to say, whatever I'm going to give you, whatever it's going to happen, there will be a yield out of this relationship of father and son. But he also says, I want you to do it today, and I want you to do it in my vineyard. I'm not asking you. I'm asking you to function within that which is mine. I'm asking you to function only in those things here in relationship to who I am as your father. So he goes, and the first one says, I won't go. But then it says he repents. And again, of all the teaching that we've heard, and we know that repent means to change your mind. We have taught it a long time. It means to change what we do, but our... What we do is coming out of the reality of our mind. You know, Paul is on the road to Damascus, believing with all his heart that he's doing this great work of God as he's arresting Christians, as he's imprisoning Christians, all the things that are going on. He has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it says immediately he began to preach and teach that Jesus was the Son of God. What happened? He changed his mind. There was repentance. There was a move of God in that moment. What begins to come out of his mouth represents that he had a powerful change of his mind. So the first one changes his mind, and he goes and he works in his father's vineyard. He came to the second, and he said likewise. So we recognize everything that he said in the first, son, go to work today in my vineyard, was exactly what he said to the the second one, because he he said it, it says likewise. And he answers, says, I go, sir, but he went not. So gratefully, in this one, Jesus goes ahead and explains. Who do these represent? I'm not real sure. I kind of live in a tension between two points. And I'll, I'll be real honest about this. Because just like working outside today and, and, or working upstairs in the high school room and getting that work done, I love doing that. I love just coming and engaging God in those moments. For, for years, I've come to the church and worked alone. Not because I had to, not because others wouldn't come. It's because I love being in this place, working, where the fellowship and the communion, the the relationship was just with God. I love those moments. I love seeing things change 
when they are redone and when remodeled and all that kind of stuff. So I live in the tension of saying to a church, man, listen, we, we need to have hearts that do that. We need to have hearts that volunteer for things and take responsibilities and, and do what churches need to do to be churches, to function and to, to make the, take care of the building, to take care of the people, all the things that are, just seem like they're work. I pull against that stuff that says we need to only be obedient. We need to do those things in obedience to God in somewhere. And, you know, thank goodness, you know, for the mercy of God and the grace of God because it gives me peace as I live in this tension because I somehow find reason or understanding that by the Spirit as he, as he brings things upon us, he's asking us for obedience. And we see this unbelievable work of God. We see these strange manifestations of God and how he touches people and watch these mysteries as they occur. I've just dealt with several this week that are just so unexplainable, just so remarkable over the last three days. I watch them and I am astounded at what God is doing. But then I also just, I know that because the Spirit of God lives in me, He pulls me to community. He pulls me to the work of the church. He pulls me just because it's here to be done. It's like we kind of live in both. But the church doesn't respond well much anymore in that tension because it's so hard to get somebody to volunteer for anything it's kind of like this end of that spectrum is almost gone but somewhere God in these messages says because I come to you we create this moment because I live in you it creates this one and both of them are equally blessing and just keep telling us the revelation of God from the simplest things that we do to the biggest things that we do and God just blesses us and, and, and ma- amazes us. But here we are, this tension between these two groups of people. Verse 31, he begins to explain. He asks those religious leaders that were there questioning him, him and pressuring him and questioning his authority as we studied last week. Which of them did the will of his father? And they say unto him, very correctly, they say the first. And Jesus said unto them, Truly I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. So immediately he's connecting this group, the publicans, the sinners, the harlots, with the first son. Because the majority of their life, the majority of everything that they had said to God was, I rebel. Especially when he makes this connection with John the Baptist. John the Baptist came and it came against their very life and the rebellion that they had lived and the refusal to accept the things of God. So initially they said no, but in the moments they were describing, then this yes formed in them and they went and they worked and did exactly what the Father had asked them to do. And then he says, verse 32, for John came unto you in the way of righteousness. And this, these are words that these religious leaders understood. I'm not sure they were processing them well. It's even hard for us because, you know, we go back to stories like with Adam and Eve. And we look at that moment when they ate of the fruit with this element of regret that they did it. I, again, I'm not real sure how to find the right, all the perfect balance in this story, but I do know something beautiful came out of this. Because at that point, they were innocent. At that point, before they ate of the fruit, the relationship that they had with the Father was because at this point, they were innocent. I was teaching in Lubbock to the college kids several years ago. 
I asked him this question. I said, if you were asked to speak in front of a group of people, a hundred other students, and say, this is how I maintain my innocence, what would have been the number one word that they would have had to use? I. Well, I do this, and I do this, and this is, this is how I do this, and this is how I do this. The whole story of innocence would have had to have been I. And I said, how many of those other students out there, the hundred students, would you have actually been talking to? Probably very, very few. I spoke in front of a, a, a fraternity and a sorority one night, and uh, I spoke on the woman who was caught in adultery. And it was flooded after that with students, especially girls, coming and talking to me and telling me how much they appreciated that message. He said, the, normally the people that are coming are, are challenging them to maintain this innocence. What's the tragedy? The innocence is gone. They need somebody that brings them hope that something can change from where they're sitting. That's what Adam and Eve needed. It wasn't innocence because righteousness is so much better than innocence. Because if you're asked to speak to 100 people about righteousness, then everything out of your mouth is going to be about what he did. It's going to be about the sacrifice he made. It's going to be about the love in his heart about the forgiveness, about the healing of all those things that are him. And I guarantee then you're talking to a hundred of them. He says, John came in the way of righteousness. You're holding yourself up. You're trying to identify yourself as something as religious leaders that you're not because he came in the way of righteousness, offering you an exchange for the life that you're trying to live, offering you true hope, offering you true identity, true blessing, true salvation. In this way of righteousness, John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and you, when you had seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. He's saying, you are that second son. All of your life, by your religion, you have said yes to God. Everything that you tried to identify with, yours is that you kind of live that life that tells everybody, I love God. He's the most important thing in my life. I study the scriptures. And I have the oracles of God and I know them. But when John came teaching and preaching this, that I was coming, that Jesus' ministry, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, it was right now. That there was an engaging in the kingdom right now. It was the move of the kingdom of God was beginning at this point when Jesus came. That's what at hand means to me anyway. But the kingdom was at hand. He says, you heard this. And when you heard it, you not only heard it, but you were watching the living testimony of it right in front of you. And it didn't cause you to change your mind. And we look at the Pharisees and say, how strange it is. But I want to tell you, it's not strange at all. Because we have something greater than they had. We have this. We have this amazing book. We have this amazing revelation. And we not only have that, but we have these powerful moves of God that we can now see. If I were to ask you, to, for those who are here tonight that would testify that God had moved mightily in their life and transformed them, changed them, healed them, restored them, I promise you across this auditorium that everyone would stand because we have seen the evidence of God. He's saying you have, you, you have the truth, you've seen the love, you understand the blessing, and you've seen the, the might of God. But it hasn't caused you to move in what I've simply asked you to do. This isn't deep. This isn't, it's not complex. He said, I just asked you to go to work. I've asked you something simple. I told you the truth and you have it in your hands. You have the great evidence of it in all the Old Testament that you know so well. And now along with it, you have watched me. You have seen the miracles. 
You have seen the witness. You've heard the, the voice that was just spoken of before. John came in the way of righteousness telling about someone who was coming. And you saw it, and you still said no. What do you think Jesus' point is here as he's talking to these Pharisees? We can draw a conclusion that says he kind of keeps putting them in their place. I don't think so at all. I think he was, think he was trying to draw them. I think he had such a heart for them. We, we, we almost put them in a place where, where Jesus despised them. He didn't despise them at all. He loved them. But he was trying to break through such a hard crust. He was trying to break through something, that, the, that had the, a barrier that had been so long established. He was trying to break through it to get them to understand, to get them to come to this point where they could acknowledge that he is the Son of God. We deal with the same thing. Now, just to get people to acknowledge that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God. Again, I wish Kevin was here. Maybe I'll, I'll ask him to share his testimony soon. But it's so exciting to watch somebody come to life in the reality of the Holy Spirit and just be blown away to see what he hadn't seen before, to recognize that there's wisdom that I can call on in situations where I'm not stuck between point A and point B, that God has revelation so that I can actually see the whole spectrum of, of everything possible. And to just hear him talk about it, just to, it's just fun to be around him. I mean, he's just fun to be around right now. He's as confused as he can possibly be. Almost every other word out of his mouth, I think I'm losing my mind. Laying face down on the floor, crying out to the Lord. And God gives him a vision. I wish it was my story to tell. It's an amazing one. So much fun to watch when someone begins to, re- to come to the reality. Can you imagine what it would be like for these guys back then to, to recognize that strange moment when it's like, he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all that we've heard. How strange that moment would be for them. I'm not sure that you could ever hold a, the same kind of thought in your head. I'm not sure that you could ever process life the same once you'd realize that Jesus is the Son of God. Walk in there next to him. Interview Zacchaeus, I think that's exactly what you would hear. The woman at the well, I think that's exactly what you would hear. The life after that was never the same. There was never a routine day after that. I believe it's the same way. Someone comes to the reality of the Holy Spirit. I don't think life can ever be routine again. I think you can process life the same again. There's just something dynamically different when when it becomes that real. Yeah, Jay? Dad talked a few minutes ago about the tension between just everyday labor in the kingdom, doing things, unseen things around the church or being a Sunday school teacher or whatever that labor, that work is, and the tension between only doing the things that he reveals, only being obedient. And... I I was particularly interested in asking the Lord about this tension. And what he said to me is, both are obedience. The difference is, the example, the picture he gave me for understanding it is, in the military, when you sign up, there are moments when he's going to say, charge. You're going to receive direct orders from your superiors. But the the moment you sign your name on on that line and saying, I joined the United States Army or the United States Air Force, You are given a set of standing orders. Obedience, loyalty, you live every day under these commands. Those commands are never lifted from you. And so in God's kingdom, there are momentary instruction brought by revelation or brought by a word that strikes us out of the blue that says, go do this, go 
pray for this one, the register. Go heal this one. Pray for this one. You know, whatever the instruction is, and it's kind of like that charge, that direct order. But things like, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. And there are so many. Labor in my vineyard. When we say, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior, we get issued a set of standing orders that we live under. The way we know where we plug in underneath that standing order is in the heart that is yielded to God. And Dad said it earlier. He gives us the desires of our heart. The desires of the heart that is yielded to God is as much revelation as the vision that comes in the moment. In the heart that's yielded to God, you can trust what's in there. If you've got a particular heart or a particular hobby that you love to do, ask the Lord, how does this plug in? How do I bless the body? An example from my and Carrie's life. We love to make prints, you know, to screen print or to carve stuff and do block printing. Or, but we began to ask the Lord, how do we bless the body with this? You live understanding orders. One of those is labor in my kingdom. Start looking at your own heart. Looking at, look at the things he's put in there to do that you just do. Because that's as much revelation as him saying, charge, go do this right now.